All right. It's good to be with you all tonight. Let's open up our Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 9. First Samuel chapter 9. And hopefully I don't see Miss Karina sitting there and start speaking in Romanian. But uh, I, do, I do preach in, in Romania. I preach certain services in Romanian and certain in English. And uh, so far I mostly keep it straight. But I do occasionally forget my English. So if I look confused for a minute... It's because I look down and I don't know why I see English words. So, all right, but if you're with me there in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 8. <laughs> see, I already don't know my numbers. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and uh, just to give you context where we are historically at this point, we're just coming out of the book of Judges, the time period of the Judges, um, and of course... God originally set up Moses as the leader of Israel under God. And then he appointed Joshua to take his place. And Joshua appointed some, some judges, and that turned into a big mess. And um, eventually Samuel comes along, kind of the last, jo- uh, the last judge and, and also a prophet. And as he was getting old, the people are seeing that his children are not following him. And that, that's a message for another, another day. But... His children are not following him. And so the people come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. And in verse 6, the Bible says, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And you know right there, what do we do when we're displeased? When we don't like what somebody says to us, when we don't like the way our, our life is going, when we don't like something that's happened to us. Do we turn and pray to the Lord about that? Or do we get all angry and try to do something about it? Samuel turns to the Lord with this. And he says, he he starts to pray to the Lord here. And in verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done, Since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit, yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And so in the rest of this chapter, Samuel goes on to explain to the people what it means to have a king. And now in America, we haven't had a king, and that's a good thing. All right, that's why we have the Constitution and we have all these things to restrain the government and to create these, these checks and these balances so nobody has that kind of power. And of course, right now, a lot of people are upset with the decisions that President Biden is making. And a couple of years ago, there were a lot of people upset with the decisions President Trump was making. And I just want to say, King Trump or King Biden would both be a bad thing. A human king makes mistakes and with unlimited power, can come unlimited corruption. And so Samuel goes down through here, and he explains to the people, do you understand what it means to have a king? And he begins to explain to them what this means. And I don't know you all well enough, so I won't pick on anybody. But just imagine, if I come to you and I say, hey, you look pretty big, you're in the army now. Hey, your daughter can cook, she works for me now. 
Hey, your son knows some stuff about tools. He's my blacksmith now. Come with me. Even, hey, your wife is pretty. She's mine now. You got a problem with that? That's what kings do. Hey, that's a nice field. That's mine now. Give me the keys to your car. It's mine. And you can't say anything. And you can't do anything. Or your life is over. That's what it means to have a king. Absolute power. And he explains this to the people. And in verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And I want to look at this chapter and these things that he says about the king. And I want to think about these with regard to our king, the Lord. Because the Lord started out here telling Samuel, These people have rejected me. I was the king. God was the king of Israel. And I know that we're not Israel, and I hope we understand that, but God is our king. As believers, as children of God, God is our king. He is our Lord. He is our master. And he has the right to anything he wants in our life. And yet, he's so kind. He doesn't demand it. He doesn't force it. He says, come unto me. Come unto me. He said to Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you, and ye would not. He could have grabbed them and gathered them. But he just says, come unto me. Come unto me. And as we look here, the people said, we want a king to judge us. Is God not the judge? God is the righteous judge. He judges us when we're wrong for our correction. He judges for us when we're oppressed and we're abused and we're persecuted. He judges for us. And one day, He's going to cut off the enemy and the oppressor and reward us for our faithfulness and destroy the enemies of God. We have that. We have that king already. Why do we need another one? We have a king to judge us. They said, we want a king to go before us. Who better to go before us than the one who knows tomorrow? If I'm going to lead you, hopefully I know where I'm going. All right? Now, if I went out here and got in my car, my GPS does not work up here. There's no signal. (laughs) We're just driving down the road. I don't know where I'm going. Follow me. That's what it's like when you're following a human king or a human government. Follow me this way. I don't know where I'm going. We have a king who knows where we're going. He created everything. He knows tomorrow. He knows where we're going. And we can count on him as he goes before us and makes a way for us when there is no way. See, if I go down the road and I come to the end of the road, i got to stop. God doesn't have to. If there's no road there, God can put a road there because he wants us to go that way. You're going to go and work in Brazil. And maybe one day you're going to find a place in your life and there doesn't seem to be a road there. And if this is what God has called you to, he makes that road. Just as you go to step there, there's the road. There was a road here. I just couldn't see it. And that's the way the Lord works over there in Dearborn. The Lord is making a way for you when there seemed to be no way. When no one was going before you, the Lord is going before you. The Lord goes before us. There were many times on deputation, many times in our first couple years in Romania, I didn't know how we were going to keep going. 
And there was more than one time where we got down to, we had the gas that's in the tank and that last box of rice and beans that's in the cupboard. And that is it. This is the end. If God doesn't make a way for us. And he made a way for us. And as long as we could go one more step, we did. And God made a way. That's our king. He makes the way for us. He goes before us. And then they said, to fight our battles. Now I know historically it comes after, but God sent one angel and killed 185,000 in one night just because he said so. That's who I want fighting my battles. The one who, when he walked on this earth, just said, I am he. And the Roman army fell down at the power of his word. The one who said, let there be light, and there was light. That's who I want to fight my battles. Not some man, just because he's big. Not as big as God. And Samuel shows them these things, and he says, do you understand what you're saying? God is your king. Why would you settle for less? And they said, that's okay, we understand. We want less. And listen, when, when we set ourselves up as king, we're settling for less. I heard this illustration one time, and I hope it helps you. If you imagine a piece of paper, and on one side you write the word no, and on the other side you write the word Lord, because both of those cannot be true. If he is our Lord, we don't say no. And if we can say no, guess who's the Lord? Self. And we're settling for that human king. When the Lord was our king, the Lord that goes before us, the Lord that judges us, the Lord that fights our battles. And when I set myself up as king, when I say no to the Lord, and I make me the Lord, now I have to judge. And what if I'm wrong? i got to find my own way. And I don't know where I'm going. i got to fight my own battle. And I'm like a two-year-old trying to fight a battle. I can't do it. And we need to turn that over to the Lord. And as we look in this chapter, I want us to think about these, these things. What the Lord asks of us. What the Lord could ask of us. And He's worthy. He's worthy. Amen? And, and that's this is really the title of this message tonight. The Lord our King is worthy. And let's go in verse 11. In verse 11, as he's describing this king, this human king, and understand Saul did not do all these things. But if you read through the kings of Israel and Judah, they did all these things and more. And he said, in verse 11, 1 Samuel 8, verse 11, and he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands, and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war, and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, and to be cooks, and to be bakers. Now as we think about the service of the king, of our service of our king, I want you to understand there's not a good job and a bad job in the service of the Lord. There's not a big job and a small job. There's not an important job and an unimportant job in the service of the Lord. 
I remember one time somebody was talking about when a visitor comes to church and, and hears the gospel and is saved. Who gets the credit? The pastor that preached the sermon? The pianist that played? The usher that handed him a bulletin? The guy who mowed the yard? The one who painted the church sign? The one who vacuumed the floor? The one who cleaned the bathroom? The one who took care of the kids in the nursery so he could listen? Well, they all did it. And every one of those was an important thing. And this king could say, you're going to be the captain of my chariot. Oh, look at me, I'm captain of the chariot. Yeah, but if the king doesn't eat, he's going to die. That cook is a mighty important job. But if he only has a cook and he doesn't have an army, he's not going to get too far either. And in the service of the Lord, there are no big jobs and small jobs. Brazil and Dearborn and Romania and the other one escapes me. Uganda are all important. Sorry, I just came from another missions conference and I was like, Mozambique. No, that's not right. Wait, what was the other one? There's not a big important country. Oh, that one's important. Eh, that, one, that one doesn't matter. There's people there too. There's people right here outside your door that are just as needy for the gospel. Right here in Fostoria, you have a neighbor that needs to hear. And you can do just a little thing, speak a little word, hand a little gospel track, and you think, ah, that's just a little job. I'm not much. If you're in the service of the king, it's much. And whether God calls your children to sit in the orchestra right next to you or to go to Papua New Guinea, would you be willing? Or would you say, well, Lord, you can have them for this, but not for that. Well, wait a minute, who's the Lord now? Who's the Lord now? If I'm set in conditions, I'm the king. We need to be just as willing to say, Lord, use my children here. Lord, use my children there. Our heart should be, Lord, my children are yours. You gave them to me, use them in your service. Here, there, wherever it is. Because our King is worthy. Amen? And let's not think that there's a big job and a small job when it comes to serving the Lord. Oh, maybe we're okay with the Lord using our children. Oh, you know, our kids are called to the ministry and maybe we'll feel proud of that. Or, or look at that, God is using my family. And we might think that's something great. Well, how about this? In verse 14. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give them to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. What about our stuff? Do we have a boundary line in our heart that says, Lord, you can use my family, but stay away from my wallet. Oh, I'll give money to the church, but not my children. Then how many times has God called someone and mom said no? Dad said no. How many missionaries? I can think of many people that I've heard of and heard stories of how they've struggled and struggled to stay on the foreign field as their children move back to the States and begin to have those grandbabies. And now it's hard to be over there when the family's over here. And it's kind of turned around, isn't it? 
We think of being over here and our kids going over there. But what if you're over there and you're having a hard time and now your kids and your grandkids are back here and you've got to give them away again and again and again. Surrender that to the Lord. And many times we have one area of our life that we say, I would give this to the Lord, but not that. You can have my money, you can't borrow my lawnmower. You can borrow my lawnmower, but don't ask for money. We have these lines in our heart, things that are important to us. Remember Abraham? Abraham had flocks, and he had herds. He had a couple of wives. He had everything, all these servants, trained servants of an army. But in his heart, he had one thing, his son Isaac. In Abraham's heart, that was everything. And God said, would you give me Isaac? Would you? And as Abraham laid him out on that altar, and he got that knife, God said, stop there. You can keep him. I just wanted to know if I could have him if I asked. That's surrender. God could have had the dearest thing to his heart just by asking. And God said, no, I'm not actually taking it away. See, we're afraid to serve God many times. We're afraid to give or to surrender something to the Lord as if we're going to lose it. I didn't lose my life when I gave it to the Lord. He moved me to a different part of the world, but I didn't lose anything. Sometimes you do. I'm not saying the service of the Lord is always without price. For many, many millions of people in this world, to name the name of Christ is a death sentence. It's prison. It's beating. It's your family never speaking to you again. For millions of people in this world, it comes at a very high price. But many times, the service of the Lord does not. And we are willing to sit here in America comfortable and say, well, I could give the Lord this, but not that. I would go this far, but not that far. I would go here, but not there. You can have my children, but not my money. You can have my money, but not my children. Maybe, maybe you, you, you sit here tonight and you think, I don't really have any children. I don't really have any money. Do you have skills? you have a trade? A job? An ability? Something that you could offer in the Lord's service? Are you holding that back? No, this is just for me. I can draw, but I'm not going to draw a little illustration for the church bulletin. Because this is just for me. Offer it. Offer that thing. And you'll see, the Lord didn't mean to take it away from you, but to use it and to grow it. Amen? The Lord, our King, is worthy. Let's turn to Revelation. I want to read some verses here. In Revelation... See, when we get to heaven and we see the Lord, we're going to understand these things. But we have the Word of God, and we have this book of Revelation to help us see some things we haven't seen yet. John got to see some things. These prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel and John in particular, got to see things they couldn't explain. Paul says over there in Corinthians, I knew a man caught up to the third heaven. I believe it was Paul. He said, I knew a man caught up to the third heaven 
And he saw things I can't even tell you about. He said it's not lawful or that word also might be possible. It's not even possible for me to express in words. It's not legal. It's not possible. I cannot even begin to describe what I saw in the third heaven. It was so mind-blowing. I'm not even sure if I was there or not. I can't even begin to describe the glory of God. John saw things and he heard things and he went to write and the Spirit said, don't write that down. It's too much. It's not for now. Daniel saw things, heard things, didn't understand, prayed and fasted for weeks. Lord, what did I see? What does this mean? And we get a little glimpse into these things in the Word of God that we might understand just, just a drop of the glory of God. In Revelation chapter 4, these, these things that are in heaven, they're hard to describe. In verse 6, we'll start in verse 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Can anybody draw these things? John is trying to describe what he saw. It's, it's mind-blowing. Verse 9, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You understand that if God wanted to preach to the people in Brazil, He could speak from heaven to them. If he wanted them to hear the gospel, which, and he does, he could write it on the side of a mountain with his finger. He can make the rocks cry out. But he says, David, would you go? Lily, would, would you go? Would you serve me? I want you to do it. I could make it happen. I could make it happen right now. I could, I could make all of them here. Would you do that for me? God asks us. And the correct response is what these, these beasts and elders in heaven do. Fall down before Him. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Anything. Thou art worthy. Turn over in chapter 5. In verse 9, why is he worthy? He's worthy because he has created all things. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, he is worthy. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. A number that can't be numbered. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy, worthy 
is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And it goes on, and every creature in heaven and earth joins them in this shout, worthy. And when God speaks to your heart and to my heart in that area that we want to hold back, in that thing that is dearest to you, the thing that is dearest to me, and God speaks and He puts out His finger and touches that and says, may I? What do we say? Do we say, worthy, worthy, thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Or do we say, mine? What do we say? Worthy? Or, no, that's mine. He is worthy. One more place, Revelation 19. Revelation 19. In verse 11. Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. God's got a lot of names in the Bible. And right here, Jesus is also called faithful and true and the Word of God. But he's got another name. And nobody knows but him. That's wild, isn't it? He's got another name, and it's a secret. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. King of kings. Lord of lords. And when he speaks to you and to me, And he stretches out that nail-pierced hand and says, Serve me. Come. What do we say? Do we fall on our knees, cast our crowns, our babies, our wallet, our tools, our skills, our hearts, our minds, and say, Worthy! Worthy! Or do we sit back and say, no, that's mine? How do we say no? I thought his name was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How do we say no? How can we look at the fields that we see up here and there's nothing in us that says, I want to go. I'll be honest with you. I have rarely seen a missionary presentation since the time I can remember and not thought, I should go there. 
I, I came up in church. I came up with missionary presentations since I can remember. The old slide projectors with the carousel, you know, and they'd fall out and get turned upside down. And every time, I thought, Lord, is that the place? Lord, he needs help. Lord, they're lost over there. Lord, maybe that's for me. And it wasn't. But my heart was looking. Where do you want me? Where do you want me? Where do you want me, Lord? They need help. There's not enough. Could you use another church in Dearborn? Could you use another preacher in Brazil? I'll take 20 or 30. We're moving to a county of 600,000 and not a gospel preaching church. That's one county in Romania. There's room. There's room. If you don't think that God's calling you, if I can say this, if you don't think that God has called you, have you called Him? Huh? How many times, we all got cell phones, how many times have you thought, hey, I thought they were going to call me, and you called them just to make sure? Right? You expecting a call from somebody and it doesn't come through? You call them up, hey, hey, did you, did you forget about me? Hey, I thought we were going to meet up, we were going to do this thing, right? We do that. Have you tried it? Have you tried volunteering? Lord, could you use me? Can you use a regular guy? A regular girl? I don't think I'm much, Lord, but would you like what I've got? Would, would you take me? Or are we sitting back there saying, oh, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, please don't pick me. Either he is Lord and worthy or self is. We can only have one Lord. And if it's the Lord, then he is worthy of all. And if self is the Lord, we ought to be down here at this altar confessing that and surrendering whatever that is that we're holding on to. Let's all stand. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that spoke the universe into existence, would stoop to call us, would bless us with being your servants. Lord, speak to our hearts tonight. Show us if there's something that you could use that we've been holding back. Maybe we're struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness and it's holding us back from what you've got for our lives. Help us, Lord, to surrender those things and answer your call. A call to ministry in the kitchen, in the church, in the van, in the foreign field. Lord, show us, guide us as our King that goes before us, that fights our battles for us, that leads us. Lord, speak to us tonight and show us what it is you want for our lives. And help us not to hold back and to say no when in fact you are worthy of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, you want to come?